What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode two, Kicking It with Cardolas. I am your host, the one and only Michelle Cardolas. So I get asked all the time, people, you know, how do I stay motivated? How do I stay positive of all the things that I've gone through in my life? You know, how do I keep an optimistic outview? And how the hell am I even really the type of person that I am considering everything that I've gone through? And so that's really, that's really it. That is the answer. It is everything that I have gone through and that I have endured and I have survived and thrived to be able to become the person that I am today. And that stems from all sorts of different areas and different things in my life. And so I guess to start somewhat to give you some type of an idea of what that maybe looks like that might resonate with you is that I grew up in a very alcoholic and abusive um, upbringing as a child. And I, I know a lot of people have. And, you know, over the, and I've talked about this many times before, but maybe you're just listening to this for the first time. And so maybe, uh, maybe this is something that you need to hear now is that, so when I grew up and, you know, I was very young, six, seven, eight years old, it wasn't uncommon to be told, you know, you're fat, you're lazy, you're a piece of shit, you're a slob. And, you know, my stepdad was, um, he worked out of town. So he was gone for two weeks. He was home for one. Sometimes he was gone for three, home for one. Uh, he worked in the oil field. So regardless, either way, he wasn't home very much. And I can still remember to this day, you know, those weeks that he was home, it was like, it was hell. It was torment. And I was excited for him to go back to work. And it was like a vacation. And, you know, it was like having two phases of life simultaneously, one one when he was home and one when he wasn't. And again, I say this because I know a lot of people struggle with this and they've had their own traumatic and alcoholic upbringing. And like I said, it was normal for to be woken up at three o'clock in the morning, getting yelled at to go do the dishes because I am lazy. Um, and there wouldn't even be dishes in there or he would make dishes so that there was something for me to do. And uh, the weekends were, you know, get same thing, get up, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning and go clean, go clean up horse shit, you know, which is fine. And it wasn't the fact that there was things to do. And, you know, I lived in an acreage and, you know, that was a part of acreage country living, but it was the way in that messaging and that speaking in that conversation um, was directed. And it was those thoughts, you know, and whether I you know, at the time I told myself, I know this is the alcohol talking. I know this is the booze. I know this is the booze. But, you know, I was so young. And, you know, as a child, we don't have the awareness that we do as adults that, you know, he doesn't mean it. And there's a part of us that feels like they do. And so being told for years, you know, you're fat, you're fat, you're lazy, you're a slob, you're, you know, God, like, you know, fuck you, get up, do this, do that, you know, you're not good enough. That was my world unconsciously, whether I knew it or not, and whether or not I was telling myself I knew it was the booze. Because when you hear something over and over and over again, it becomes true. And so at that age, you know, I didn't know any better. And so for that being most of my life of beer bottles being thrown across the room and, like I said, me being yelled at in my face, while in the same breath, saying, I love you, you know that I love you, that gave me such a distorted version of love and parenting and you know, like a father-daughter relationship. And being that my parents had split up when I was even before, when I was even younger yet, and not having a really close relationship with my birth dad, I didn't have a really strong and you know, positive father role model in my life. And like I said, I very much lived in fear of when he was home, of what kind of version of a person would I was I going to get? And I know people struggle with this through the coaching calls that I've done now, working with people and over the years, is that 
this it's that fear and these thoughts and these negative thoughts and these negative beliefs that we believe and become our reality. And again, whether we're aware of it or not, and it's most often that we're not aware of it until much later on in life. And so that was my life for most of it up until until up until the day that he died just before I turned 18. And so for, you know, 10, 12, 14 years, I can't math. Um, it was fear. It was negativity. It was no comfort. It was a weird, you know, version of love and parenting and what that was supposed to look like. But what it taught me was a lot of things that I never wanted to have in my life. I never wanted to have a relationship like that. My mother was too scared to leave. And he, again, like I said, he worked in the oil field, so he made all the money and that provided security. And she never had to work. She just had to stay at home and manage the house and manage the bills and, you know, do the cooking and the cleaning. And and she, and that was content for her. That was safe for her. And so she wouldn't leave no matter if she got pushed into a fridge or if I was getting yelled at or, you know, if she voiced her opinion and said, you know, you can't talk to her like that, like calm down. Um, or if I was crying in her room saying, like, we need to leave, and she wanted to leave on many occasions, she she was living in her own fear that there was nowhere to go and that there was there was nothing else out there for her. And it's when you're in that situation, it's hard to get out of because you don't want to leave one uncomfortable, hard situation for an even scarier situation. And so domestic violence and family violence and alcohol abuse led me to feeling like I really needed to close people out. I didn't want to have people get close to me because I didn't know what they were going to do. I didn't know what they were going to say. I didn't know how they were going to react. And I was completely um, more of a bully in school, not to the point where I was um, beating up on people or like scaring people through tactics or shoving them into lockers. But I was definitely somebody that um, you didn't want to talk negatively too because I was not afraid to throw down um, and I would never back down from a fight and I was very uh, mouthy and lippy and uh, very hard external shell because I was getting hurt all the time at home physically um, and emotionally so I was never going to let anybody hurt me in any other place elsewhere that was in my control and so again um, you know why do I talk about this and why do I bring this up because people struggle with this more than we know and more than we think that this idea of this perfect family is actually rare and shout out to all those people that have you know fantastic parents and knowing what I know now and going through the education and the certifications and coaching experiences that I have now I know that that's just their way of being and that's their awareness and their perception and their perception from how they were raised and their own experiences so that being said um those negative thoughts and those negative habits really instilled that fear and no self-worth and no self-confidence. And I was sick at the time. I didn't know that I had Crohn's. I was just very sick. I was always had an upset stomach. I had indigestion. I had lots of medical problems. I was in the doctors all the time. I always had bronchitis, strep throat. I had no immune system and nobody really knew why. And so being, you know, an outcast from my family, what it felt like to be an outcast from my family, I was desperately searching for love, searching for acceptance, because I didn't feel accepted in my own family. My real parents, you know, my real dad, they had broken up. So I wasn't really accepted into there. I have two older half sisters who were with their birth mom and my father. So again, it wasn't a relationship that I wasn't accepted there. 
And then even with my own home, with my mom and my stepfather, just a constant back and forth of, I hate you, you're lazy, you're fat, you're slob, but I love you. The back and forth of that, I didn't feel like I, I fit in there. But I didn't fit in with the popular kids because I didn't agree with the way that they were, their, their gossiping and their drama and their tactics. I didn't, I didn't have time for that. That was all I was experiencing was drama everywhere I went in my home life. So that's not what I wanted to create in my friends in school. But like I said, it didn't, it did lead me to definitely being out of integrity of my own identity of who I wanted to be. And I drank all the time and I went to house parties all the time and I did all sorts of drugs, you know, trying to be the cool kid and trying to fit in and just try and find my place into the world. And, you know, through the course of my upbringing, you know, again, same thing at a very young age, you know, when I was 13, um, there was a murder, um, at a friend's birthday party, at his 16th birthday party, his younger brother, who was 11 years old, was murdered at his birthday. And we all knew the person that was charged with the murder. And we all knew that he had did it. We were all there. We had all seen it. We had all seen him break into the gun cabinet. We know without a shadow of a doubt. Like I said, we were standing in the room. People had witnessed this. But to be, you know, 13 years old, turning 14, and to have to deal with that type of, again, pain and loss. And there wasn't really anybody there to explain that to me and how to deal with that. And so I'm dealing with, you know, all this negativity and this hatred and this, this weird sense of, of love and parenting. And I'm witnessing, you know, young people be murdered and going through a court trial and media cameras are following us, following us everywhere. And there's all sorts of controversy over it because the, um, the murderer was a foster child. So it was part of the government system. And from 14 years on, you know, the following year, another friend died and the following year, another friend died and I felt, you know, and it was, it was one thing after the other in my, in my upbringing. And at 16, and I've talked about this again, you know, before and other podcasts and magazine articles at 16 years old, I found myself truly, you know, really being a rebel. And I was, you know, I was, I was a good school, a good school student, but I wanted nothing to do at home. Um, and again, I was with the wrong people trying to be somebody that I wasn't because I had no idea of who I was, what I was feeling, what I wanted to do, because all of my emotions had been suppressed and I, I had no voice. And so I just wanted to be friends with anybody who would hang out with me and who would listen. And I was always the one that would listen to others. And so from a very young age, there was some, I was always able to give advice to others. But again, um, like I said, at 16, I found myself in another um, uncomfortable situation of another friend's birthday party and people drinking and being um, talked into going into the back room of my then at the place that I lived at, at the time, my parents were out of town um, at a special event. And so we went from one party to another and then ended up at our house. And like I said, I ended up getting led into the back room and which was when I was raped. And I remember saying, no, like, this isn't a good idea. This isn't a good idea. But again, I remember that feeling of loss of control and that nobody was going to listen to me anyways. Nobody ever did. You know, he he was older. Um, he was stronger than me. He was able to physically overpower me. And regardless, no means no, and he should have stopped, but he didn't. And so again, I felt, you know, that shame and that fear of like, what do I do with myself now? And I can't tell my parents because my stepdad, who was already violent and who already says all of these negative and hateful and hurtful things, 
I'm supposed to now tell him that I've had a party in the house when I shouldn't have. I had people over when I shouldn't have. And now this situation has occurred. And that was more scary. That was more terrifying to me. What are my parents going to say? And so, again, it was something, you know, the emotions that should have gone with that were suppressed because I didn't want to talk about it. And if people didn't know and I didn't have to talk about it and it didn't have to become a thing like the murders were and the other funerals for friends in school were, then there was going to be no spotlight on me and I didn't have to go into an uncomfortable place and deal with my emotions. So, again, you know, most of my my young childhood years are, are dealt with pain and with trauma and with negative self-talk. And again, why do I bring this up? Because people have their own trauma and their own pain and they have these negative events that happen. And maybe it's not being raped like I was, and maybe it's not being sexually assaulted like I was by a family member. Maybe it's not dealing with um, you know, alcoholic upbringing and physical abuse, you know, maybe it's, it's something else, but people carry that with them. And so it wasn't until in my later years, um, when I was 18, 19 years old, after my stepdad had passed away, that I had done more counseling, and I had done more, I had more life experience. And I had been with my high school sweetheart at the time, I had gotten married when I was uh, we got engaged when I was 19. Um, I'm pretty, I'm sure, I'm sure it was 19. We got married when I got married when I was 20 and I was divorced at 21. <laughs> if that tells you anything about my great communication skills back then. But again, why, you know, I bring that up because it was all of these things. It was all of these, these pains and these traumas and these hurts that made me really strong and gave me know, an understanding later on in life that shit can always be worse because I had lived through worse. You know, I'd gone through terrible things. I'd seen, you know, terrible murders. I'd been with terrible people. I was friends with people in and out of jail. I have had experiences, um, you know, seeing people in the hospital that, you know, were criminals and were had warrants out for their arrests and having to run through the, the hospital halls trying to escape the police because they recognized somebody that I knew you know and it wasn't again like I said until I was uh, you know in my 20s after my divorce that I was like I really need to be in control of my life like and again the reason why you know I got divorced and it was the best thing that I ever did we were always better friends than we were lovers but I remember I had said, Still to this day, I remember sitting across the room and I was thinking, I'm like, I don't want to wake up 10 years from now and wonder what the fuck have I done with my life? Is this what I really want? Am I even happy? I didn't know what happiness was. I had been following somebody else's playbook. I'd been following somebody else's rules. I've been doing all the things that I was supposed to do, graduate, you know, with honors, you know, be a good student. Um, you know, get a job, get engaged. Now we're engaged. Now we're getting married. We started looking for a house. We were talking about having a kids. And I had no idea what I wanted. I had no idea who Michelle was, what Michelle wanted to do with her life, what made Michelle happy, because I had never done anything for myself. I literally spent almost all of my life trying to survive and just get anything that was not at home. Get the fuck out of home. Do anything that was that. And trying to figure it out along the way. So through these experiences and through, you know, getting married and being divorced and having that realization that I'm the one that needs to control my life. I'm the one that's in control. 
if I want to be happy or not. And I don't need to listen to anybody else's version of what happiness is supposed to be because that's what that's supposed to be up to me. It's not any, anybody else's life but mine. And so when people ask me, you know, how do you stay so positive and how do you stay so optimistic? It's because I've seen the darkest of days, you know, what I thought was the darkest of days. And I had suicidal thoughts and I was depressed and I'd slit my wrists and, you know, I drank, you know, I did drugs in the bathroom, you know, toilet stall, you know, I had done it and I'd, I'd seen dark shit and I'd still come out alive, you know, and not only had I come out alive, I was able to graduate, like I said, with honors, get accepted, get accepted into three universities. None of what I, none of which I went to because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life, but I was accepted to three universities. You know, I did get a job right out of um, high school for quote unquote, you know, for on paper and, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, I was in gay, I was married at 20. And I had my shit together. You know, I had just started my kitchen designing career and I was doing all right, but I was not fucking happy and I had no idea what I wanted to do for myself. And so I'm optimistic and I'm positive and I can see the joy, you know, I can see the win in things and I can always see the glasses um, you know, half full, not half empty, because I've truly have gone through some of the some of the worst things that people have gone through and come out the other side. And not only have I been able to come out the other side, I was able to do something with my life and I was able to do something pretty powerful. And so that kind of brings me to the next phase of my life after my divorce. And so at 22, I was newly divorced. I just started my kitchen design career. I'd been there for a year. I was really good at it. I had a natural knack for people. Um, I'd been, like I said, I'd been friends with all sorts of people, all sorts of walks of life. I loved being around people because it gave me a sense of acceptance. And half the time, these people weren't yelling in my face like my family was. So I was naturally somebody that people came and talked to and made them feel better because I spent my life, people talking to me, making me feel like shit. So I knew what that felt like. And all the things that I didn't have, I didn't have somebody to help me through these dark times. I really didn't have people to talk me through depression and suicide. I didn't have somebody talking me off the edge between doing drugs and making, you know, really bad decisions with friends. I didn't have somebody really to help me through drinking way too much and dealing with grief and dealing with trauma. I didn't have somebody to walk me through the, um, the emotion suppressions of being raped and being sexually assaulted from a family member. There was nobody there for me, you know, to hold my hand and to help me understand and to help me become aware and to know what that feels like and to get those emotions out. And so naturally, without knowing it until years later in my life, that's what I wanted to do for people. And so all my high school friends and all my adult friends, I was the person to go to to feel better, to feel comfort, to have clarity, to find understanding. But I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not gone through anything that I had. And so phase two of my life, which I consider to be phase two of my life after my divorce, was really two years of, you know, trying to figure out who I am, who I wanted to be, um, trying to get control of my health. I was not super healthy. I was still drinking. I wasn't an alcoholic by any means, but I would go out, you know, to slow pitch tournaments and drink. And I would have Sunday NFL parties and I would have drinks and nachos and burgers and chips and I was doing myself no favors. I was doing my body no favors. But I didn't think that I deserved any better. 
unconsciously, but I didn't know that. I hadn't started any personal development journey at this point in my life. And so again, I just, I wanted to have fun. Everything was about fun and freedom and do whatever I want and buy whatever I want. And so I started now in my career doing very well. And I was making six figures at 22 and 23 years old. And so I had lots of money to spend. And so I was going traveling and I was meeting people and I was going to all, all the tournaments and to all the events and to all the concerts and to anything that anybody wanted to invite me. I was a highly social person because again, I said I was focused on having fun and figuring out what the hell that I wanted to do for myself. And so now I get to, I'm 24, I'm 25 and I meet Dustin, my now husband now. <laughs> so 24, I think it's 24, 25. I don't remember how old I was. I'm sure it was 25. Um, and so we meet through work. We worked at the same original uh, kitchen cabinet place. And we literally had said, like, this is just going to be whatever it's going to be. We had both kind of come from broken relationships. You know, I had come from, I said, like I said, being a couple years divorced from that being finalized. And we didn't want to have any strings attached. And it was just going to be what it was going to be. But I was so brutally upfront, honest with my expectations and what I was willing to accept and what I was not willing to accept. And he was the same. And again, that comes from the experience of being married young and being divorced. Um, because if I had not experienced that, I would not know what made me happy and what things I was able to tolerate. And again, I was 100% at this point in my life, I was only going to do things that were going to make me happy. You either were completely and brutally honest with me and you communicated with me and this was a positive relationship or this was no relationship at all. And I started cultivating all my friends that way. All my friends, I really started having to hone down on my family. I had to start really being particular with how much family I kept in contact with. If they weren't positive, if they didn't support my growth, if they didn't support my mindset growth, then they weren't going to be in my life. I really started becoming ruthless with my surroundings because I had to be. I'd spent so much of my life being at the effect of all the negative people that were around me that I was going to be in control of everything that I could be. If it was in my power and if it was up to me, then I was going to create that result to, to the most of my capability. And that decision and that determination and that drive uh, led me to be consistently making six figures and being a part of the million, million dollar club at our company for 11 consecutive years. Because those things were in my control. My attitude was in my control. Um, the conversations that I had with people, how I wanted to respond, how I wanted to react, that was all going to be into my control. That wasn't up to anybody else. That was up to me. And for having so much of the early part of my life, having no power and having no control, I was going to be the one that was going to be in control and have the power in my life. Of course, within reason and not being a complete asshole about it. So that being said, you know, Dustin and I, um, after two years, we were engaged and we started within those two years of being engaged, him and I started on our health journey, which led to the creation of this, led to the creation of us coaching, becoming Ninja Beast Fitness, um, me running Ninja Beast Coaching, doing fitness, doing health, doing mindset, doing life coaching, doing relationship coaching, doing all the things. Because I really utilized all the experiences that I had gone through myself and saw so many parallels that 
people were living in their past and they didn't have to. And we were still hanging on to those thoughts from the past and those beliefs that were instilled from somebody else who didn't know better because they were dealing with their own stuff and their own surroundings and their own awareness. But we hang on to those. And so I had a big identity shift and when I was engaged. And Dustin and I, um, we had been totally in the dating phase and totally even, you know, just going out all the time and having fun and romancing and not paying attention to what we're eating and not paying attention to what we're doing or lack thereof. And we started gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. And it wasn't until it was one night that um, Dustin was snoring and he would, he would snore in his sleep, but he would stop breathing and then he would choke and then he would cough and then he would roll over. And there was one night that his portions of him not breathing were getting longer and longer. And I remember him, I remember bawling. I remember being terrified and questioning, is he going to wake up? And he woke up and he saw me crying and he's like, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I told him like, I don't know if you're going to wake up one day and I don't know what I'm going to do without you. And so that again was a part of a huge identity shift of that. We can't live this way. I can't continue to be unhealthy and unhealthy was still partying and was still drinking and was still being lazy and it was you know not being driven and it was not being focused on again what truly made me happy what truly made us happy and what other things could make us happy outside of what we thought and so we embarked upon the whole weight loss journey you know I was 215 pounds my husband was 300 pounds we're both very short people and I'm five I'm barely 5'4", he's barely 5'5". Five five. So we were round and we were not healthy. And my Crohn's was at the worst that it's ever been. I couldn't run without being, you know, crumpled over in gut-wrenching pain, not being able to move for hours. And again, I was like, I don't want to live my life like this. I had already spent 20 years of a life, living a life that I didn't want to. And that was not, you know, happy and positive and was not full of, you know, joy and gratitude. And again, I was like, we have to be in control of this. We have to do this. Nobody can do this for us. And that led us to, you know, two years of learning nutrition, working with fitness coaches getting our own um, nutrition certifications and understanding, um, you know, really falling in love with health and fitness. And we fell in love with it because of how it made us feel. And it wasn't that I need to be, I need to be a size four. I need to be 150 pounds. I need to be 150 pounds. It was never about the number. You know, I wanted to feel good. I didn't want to go into the closet and always have to wear black clothes. I wanted to feel sexy. I wanted to, you know, lay next to my husband and be sexually attracted to him again and have him be sexually attracted to me. And we weren't, neither one of us were. And our, you know, our relationship, um, it, it, we were still connected on a deep level, um, you know, in a lot of different ways. But, you know, the physical attraction was dying because we were not healthy and we did not have self-confidence because we didn't have the bodies that matched it. And we hadn't really dove into our own inner mindset and we hadn't done the personal development coaching, but that we decided to take control of our life. And again, so we did. And that's what originally catapulted 
are small changes. And they were small changes. They were small changes. You know, first we stopped eating a whole bunch of fast food. Then we started eating healthier. Then we started going for walks. We would always watch The Biggest Loser. We surrounded ourselves by fitness things, by food things, things that were positive and promoted the idea of change. Those were the things that were in our surroundings. And through working with fitness coaches and health coaches ourselves, we started losing weight. We started gaining more confidence. We started gaining consistency. And again, I say this, this came with two years of training and failing and doing it again and failing and crying and feeling like it's not enough. Why isn't it coming off faster? What more do I need to do? I'm doing all of the right things. Why isn't this working? Um, And, you know, it was trial and error and finally learning the right things and learning the right tools and working with our body that we were able to create the transformation that we did. And that led us to, you know, doing 10 obstacle course races, doing, you know, multiple 5Ks, 10Ks, 15Ks, two half marathons. You know, it's led us to, you know, doing Tough Mudders and Spartan races and MS bike tours and all sorts of really, really fun things and created a new passion for us, created a new sense of healthy and a new sense of drive and a new sense of ourself because we were able to see what we were truly capable of. And so I went from a size 18 almost into a size 20 of clothes and was a size four at my smallest. You know, I was losing the weight and my husband went from 300 pounds to, you know, 50, 60% body fat to 160 pounds and was 11% body fat. He completely changed his body composition and gained his own new perspective of life and what he was capable of. And that was a powerful thing, just what we were capable of, that change is possible. And we were ordinary people just like you and others that were struggling with the same thing and made the change. So through that transformation, you know, people were asking us, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Can you help me? Oh, I'm doing this. I'm doing a little bit of that. Can you give me some advice? Can you give me some tips? And we helped a few people here and there, and they got amazing results. And more and more people started asking us, you know, can you help me? Can you give me some some advice? And I would get on phone calls with people, just be like, hey, what are you doing? How are things going? And we would have hour-long conversations. And they weren't about training. And they weren't about what are you eating. It was about why are you eating? Why are you not aware? Why are you stress eating? What emotions are coming up for you? What emotions are you not dealing with? Where are these limiting beliefs coming from? What is this trauma? How are all of these things that you're telling me right now, how are they coming up in your life and other areas besides your weight? Where are they showing up? And I was having these incredibly powerful conversations with people with no training, I had not done any business training. I had not done any nutrition training. I had not done any personal development training. I was certified in nothing. I I, I lie. I was certified in life experience and a lot of it. And in understanding and being able to connect with people. And so I was having these conversations. And again, like I said, just giving advice. And they were changing their fucking lives. And they were happy and they were healthy and they had so much energy and they had better relationships and they had better marriages. And people were asking me, oh, is this a program? Are you a trainer? Are you a coach? And I was like, no, I'm not, but maybe I should be. So 
coaching was unintentional. It came from doing, it came from action and just wanting to help people get through their shit and create their own powerful change because it was possible. And when people can see that it's possible and they can hear stories of people doing it, it becomes real and it becomes a possibility. And it's now into their awareness that they can do it too. And if they have the support of somebody in their corner who's done it, that maybe they're more likely to be able to do it too and be able to understand. And so thus, Ninja Beast Fitness was born. So, you know, being, you know, at this point, um, you know, we had lost the weight. We had taken control of our health. I had become Crohn's medication and symptom free. My doctors have cleared me from all medication. I was able to maintain all of my, my symptoms and my health um, strictly through food and, you know, gr- high quality supplementation. I mean that by, you know, minerals and, uh, you know, fish oil and vitamin D and things like that, um, which I'll dive into into another podcast when we're doing an educational series. Um, but I did it on my own. And again, you know, I was wanting to do as much as I could and control as much as I could into my life. And by doing so, like I said, in my career, I was able to make six figures and hit the million dollar club. And I'll talk in another episode about business and marketing. But I was able to do that. And I was able to do all of the races. And I was able to get through these health struggles. And I was able to push through this and change my body composition. And I was able to help inspire others to do the same. And so people wanted to coach with us. They loved, they loved our, who we were. We just really wanted to serve people and we still do. It's all, it's all about helping people. I could care less really about the money and because it's so exciting for people to see what they are capable of and get excited about themselves and their ability to change and for them to be able to grow and for them to be able to see that they actually, it is 100% possible that they can reach their goals. And so we got certified. So we did CampFit Pro. Um, you know, we did PN Nutrition. We now have done um, ISSA, which is International Sports Association. I've worked with many personal development mentors, life coaches, marketing and business strategies. And we built a company. And we built a company, like I said, always with the purpose. And our vision is to help empower people to see that change is possible. And that change isn't always a bad thing. You know, I think we're we're afraid of that. And so to go back to, you know, the very beginning of this episode, how can I be positive? How can I be optimistic? How can I always, you know, see the good and see the win? Because I've been through hell and back and I've won. And I know that people can too, if they want it. And sometimes they need help. And, you know, if I'm able to be that person that can relate And help you understand, maybe you are that person that's lost and just doesn't know what to do or how to deal with your emotional trauma or to deal with the negative beliefs or to, maybe you don't understand nutrition. Maybe you don't know anything about a workout. You know, maybe you need that whole trans, that whole life transformation. If that, if I can help one person reach their goals and I don't care what their goal is, be a better salesperson, be a better marketer, be a better leader, be a better athlete be a better person, have a stronger marriage, lose some weight, get strong as fuck. Those are my favorite. Get strong as fuck and feel like a badass and just really own your power and own your worth and love everything about yourself. If I can help one person do that, that's all that I want. And I've been blessed and I've been fortunate and I've been extremely grateful to work with some amazing, phenomenal people that they have literally flown across the continent to come and thank me in person. And for that, I will always be grateful. But that's 
important to me is that people realize their own inner strength is there. Their own inner warrior is there. And mine was too. And it just took a really long time to get out. And I know that a lot of people struggle with putting everybody else before themselves, but you cannot give from an empty cup. And we all know that. We all hear it and we see it on every fucking Facebook post on the planet. But it's true. You can't give from an empty cup. If your bank account is empty, you cannot go buy groceries. How are you going to give away all of this love and support and be a strong mom or be a strong dad or be a better partner or be a powerful leader if you feel depleted or if you feel like you're not in alignment with your true self and what you want and what truly makes you happy? And so that's why we created coaching. And, you know, that is my vision is to help people see that change is possible because we have lived it and we have done it. And I have helped hundreds of other people do the same. And that my, my, my mission is to educate people so that they can do that, so that they can make powerful decisions for themselves because they want to make powerful decisions for themselves. And it's to inspire people. You know, I'm inspired by inspiring others watching inspired people do inspiring things for themselves. And so it really is to educate, inspire, and motivate people to take massive action in their life so that you can live life fearlessly and powerful and live life on purpose. You don't have to live by somebody else's terms. You don't have to settle for less than because you are not less than. And you are not just a weight on the scale. And you are not just a number of your bank account. And you're not just the likes and the comments on your posts. You are so much more than that. And I think this is the, the missing part in coaching because as I coached with three or four fitness coaches and I have now have coached with three business marketing coaches and two personal development coaches, it's this, this personal development side that I was missing. And it's what I love to do is the personal development, is to coach, is to talk with people about the shit that they've got in their life. Because if you don't deal with the shit in your life, it's going to come back to you at some point. It never goes away unless you deal with it. Even if you're suppressing it, it'll find a way. Believe me, it finds a way. And that with all the fitness coaches that I worked with myself when I was learning, nobody really asked, how am I doing? How is the past things in my life holding me back? Why am I self-sabotaging? Why am I emotionally eating? Why am I emotionally not eating? Like, why don't I feel good? Why do I have no self-worth? I remember still to this day, one of my business coaches, I was pulled over on the side of the highway and we were talking about self-love and self-value and self-worth. And he told me to pull over into the highway and he said, Michelle, I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I love you, Michelle. And I shit you not, I could not fucking say it. I laughed. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, Pfft. you're kidding me, right? And I couldn't say it. I physically could not get the words to come out of my mouth. And I felt nauseous to my stomach. And it was then that I knew I had some serious personal development of my own that I still needed to get through. And that led me down to, like I said, the you know, the three mentors that I've worked with now and, um, you know, the work that I've done and the work that I've been able to get certified in and help others powerfully get through. And there's still, don't get me wrong, there has still been some crazy life adventures that I've had to deal with in my adult years, not nearly under the scale of my younger years, but which again, will be in a later podcast of the whole eliminating a narcissistic family member from my life. Um, that was, you know, very hard to deal with. And, you know, if you don't have the right mindset tools and habits, you know, or the support, it's really hard to get through it to do. And so that being said, 
I'm positive and I'm optimistic and I'm uplifting because why the fuck not? You know, I've been through way too much shit to just sit in sorrow and to sit in grief and to sit in I'm not good enough because I have been able to pick myself up from some of the darkest days and from some traumatic shit and be able to thrive and to be able to have a successful career hitting six figures consistently and be able to have a successful coaching company and, you know, helping people around the world, no matter where they are, be able to take life back into their own hands and create the change that they wanted for themselves so that they can feel like a warrior badass that we all deserve to be never settling for anything that we're never settling for less than because we truly aren't. And, you know, I'm just, I'm excited to be able to share more stories on this podcast. And that's why I wanted to create this is just, again, to have people come onto the podcast and share their stories of their change and how they're very real people like you and me that have gone through some shit in their life and have made some choices to be able to improve their life, improve their situations, the thought pattern and the mindset around that and what that took, because you need to have the action. You do. It starts with a thought, but then you do need to have the action. And a lot of time procrastination will be the death of us because Lord, it, it was for me trying to create this podcast for the longest time. Um, but again, I'm excited to bring those stories to you, you know, and to bring in other coaches and to share their tips so that you can take massive action into your life and so that you can see what's possible from other people. And that if you need somebody to talk to, or if you are lost, or if you need support, or just to be able to hear that, you know, somebody's been through it too, and they've come out the other side, that maybe that gives you some light at the end of the tunnel, then the mission of the podcast is achieved, you know, is to give hope, to inspire, and to make that conscious choice, to shift and align into who you can become. It's not about who you were, it's about who you want to become. What's that version look like? What's that vision of yourself, your most powerful self, your most aligned self? What does that look like? What does that feel? And then what action plan do you need to take that? If you don't have an action plan, again, you, know, you need to work with somebody or figure that out. So whether that's with me, I would love for it to be. Maybe that is an opportunity for you to reach out and for us to have a call about it. If not, keep listening and maybe get some habits and some tools and some insight and some advice from myself on other podcast episodes or guests that are coming up on the episodes as well. So that being said, that's probably more than enough for today to give you kind of the background and insight into me, into myself, as to why I'm coaching, how Ninja Beast coaching and Ninja Beast fitness was created. Um, thus, the ninja, I really am a ninja. I am a second-degree black belt. So for those of you that don't know me, so thus the ninja of the Ninja Beast coaching. So that being said, thank you for listening to my story. And I'm excited for you to hear other people's stories. And I'm even more excited for you to create a different narrative to your story, or to create a new ending. Because you don't have to settle. If you're not happy, you can create a different path. There is always a choice. And no matter how hard things are, or how bleak things look, there's always a way out. It might take a while. It takes patience. It takes perseverance. It takes resiliency. But know that there's people out there that are like you that have done it, and they've gotten through. And so you can too. So that being said, I will bid you farewell and good evening and thank you for listening to my story. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to comment below. Uh, you can message me. I am on Facebook. I am on Instagram. I am on YouTube. I believe you can message me onto this podcast episode as well. I appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. And if you think that anybody else would, feel, would have value from listening to this episode or the episodes to come, please feel free to recommend this podcast to your family and friends. 
Hope you guys are all having a kick-ass night and week. And remember, you are relentless. You are possible. Change is possible. We can make it happen. You deserve it.